Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time uh, to gather, to learn from your word, to receive instruction for Christian living and for conquering for your kingdom. We pray that uh, you would open our minds and you would um, help us to learn and to remember and apply these truths to our lives. We pray that um, you would just give us understanding and empowerment and motivation by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today we are continuing our series called How to Lead Your Heart. Um, this is part three of this series, and we are still on habit two. Today's sermon is called Heart Issues to Watch Out For. Um, so let me start off by defining the series. Um, in this series, I'm making an attempt to do what a foundationally comprehensive training course on how to lead your heart. So the idea is, hopefully, if a person like attends, pays attention, takes notes, and learns all of this, they should be competent to lead their heart in life in general. Um, and I've got five habits that I think if a person has acquires these five habits, they will be competent to lead their heart as a Christian. Let's take a look at Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We talked about that a bit in the first part, how you know everything in your life flows from your heart. The quality of your life is determined by your heart and all of your decisions. Every decision you ever make or don't make is determined by what's in your heart. So if you can lead your heart Effectively, that's a pretty important skill. And for the purposes of this series, um, we're defining the heart as the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. So the idea is um, you want to be able to lead all four of those things. You should be able to lead your desires. You should be able to lead your emotions. You shouldn't be led by them. So this series is going to have, I think, five habits that, you know, if you have these habits, it'll greatly help you to be able to effectively lead your heart. Um, the first one we looked at was you have to have, an as a habit, you should have the attitude of responsibility and intentionality when it comes to leading your heart. And then the second habit, which is what we're... Um, looking at now, we looked at it last week and we're going to be looking at it this week, is the habit of discerning and judging what's in your heart. So what I mean by discerning, um, you know, if you want to lead your heart, if you want to lead your beliefs, your desires, your emotions, your intentions, you have to know what's in your heart. You have to know what desires you have, what emotions you have, what beliefs you have, what intentions you have. If you don't ever think about that. If you don't discern that, how are you going to lead your heart? And not only that, but you have to be able to judge them. You have to be able to discern whether or not they're good or bad, helpful or unhelpful. If, you're not, if you don't know that, you won't know which direction to lead your heart in. So we are currently on habit two. Um, last week, we mostly just explained habit two. Um, 
And we also last week talked about how the Holy Spirit enlightening us as we interact with the scriptures is our chief means of discerning and judging what's in our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us insight and the the scriptures give us insight. And, um, you know, the word of God is active, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is capable of judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit enlightening us as we engage with the scriptures is our chief means of being able to discern and judge what's in our hearts. And also last week I gave a a five-point strategy for learning to regularly discern and judge what's in your heart. So if you would like to know more about that, please uh, re-listen to last week's sermon on the website or on YouTube or Spotify. So last week we mostly went over kind of an overview of habit two, discerning and judging what's in your heart. And this week we're still on habit two. So this sermon is called uh, Heart Issues to Watch Out For. So last week we talked about in general how one can gain the discernment um, to know what's in their heart. And it involves going to the scriptures and asking God and seeking for that knowledge and examining yourself. But... um, just to kind of hopefully help give a head start, I'm going to mention some things that I think we should all be watching out for. And I can't mention everything. This is not going to be comprehensive. We'd spend 10 weeks on it. Um, this is not going to be comprehensive. I'm just doing a few key areas that everyone needs to know and some important things I think are easy to miss. Um, when it comes to heart issues to watch out for. So that's what we're doing today. So for the first section of this sermon, we're going to look at thoughts or beliefs to watch out for. These are like thoughts or beliefs in your heart that you need to be watchful for. Um, First, anything that contradicts the scripture Those are things we should watch out for. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take take every thought captive to obey Christ. So in this part of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about our warfare as Christians, how it's not against flesh and blood. It's against, you know, spiritual powers and authorities. It's against our own flesh, and in that warfare, we destroy arguments, thoughts, every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, if anything, you can just use this as a summary, but I I hope you have it in your mind, like as an outlook on life and an outlook on how you're to manage your thoughts. Any thought that contradicts the scriptures is a thought you need to take captive. Any thought that contradicts the scriptures is a thought you need to take captive. But I want to add to that, because... Um, This can be easy to miss. So when you have a thought that you think contradicts the scriptures, either um, 
that thought is an incorrect thought or your interpretation of the scriptures are incorrect. So don't just assume without being willing to examine it that you know, your interpretation of the scriptures is correct. Because sometimes we'll have thoughts that we're so sure are true. I'm so sure that, you know, that my interpretation of what's going on in my life is correct. But it seems like it contradicts scripture. If that's a situation you find yourself in, you, have, you might have to re-examine your interpretation of the scriptures. But the scriptures are always correct. So either your thoughts, your thoughts are wrong or your interpretation of the scripture is wrong, but you need to reconcile them. So the first thing that we should all be, you know, we should just know when it comes to our thoughts and beliefs, anything that contradicts the scriptures is wrong, and we should fight against it. The second thing I wanted to point out of, you know, thoughts and beliefs that we should watch out for is beliefs that are biased. As humans, we all have biases at various points in our lives. Um, we might have biases all the time. Learning to detect and fight against personal biases is one of the best things you can do because your biases will affect you in more ways than you would think. You might think you don't have biases, but everyone has biases. And if you think you don't have biases, just think about it. Everyone else you know has biases, right? It's very unlikely you're the only person who doesn't. That sounds like what a biased person would think. <laughs> but some of our biases can keep us from really important truths, and it, it can be easy to develop biases that uh, can really negatively affect our lives. One of them that I've dealt with a lot is a bias towards... Um, rejection thinking or thinking that other people don't like me or that God wouldn't like me. It can be easy to develop a bias towards that type of thinking. So we can have good biases? Um, I want to call, well, we'll get into that later, yeah. maybe. Uh, but, you know, there's so many biases that it's easy to grow up with, and you might think of a bias as like a political bias, but there's biases that affect your everyday life that are like practical biases. Like other people probably don't like me. Other people probably don't want to hang out with me. Um, God won't do good to me. Only bad things happen to me. Whenever I succeed in anything, it eventually falls apart. Those are all biases. Those are biases that we develop. And they are very dangerous. They really negatively affect your life. We can also have biases that prevent us from seeing the truth of Scripture. We can have theological biases, and those can keep us from seeing things that are plain in God's Word. So everyone has biases, and we need to learn how to detect them and how to fight against them. 
So I have um, an idea or two about that. If you want to overcome biases in your life, you have the biggest, most relevant thing into whether or not you're going to actually overcome the biases in your life is how much you desire to know the truth. At the end of the day, the only reason people are biased is because they have more desire to believe a certain thing than they do to be right or to know the truth. That's the only reason people have bias. They have more desire to believe a given thing than to believe the truth. And if you want to overcome your biases, which we all humans have biases, you have to have more desire to believe the truth than, well, anything you would want to believe. As Christians, we're called to seek the truth. Another thing that can be helpful, um, you should examine your thoughts and ask yourself why you think what you think. Ask yourself whether or not it's correct. And be more committed to the desire to believe the truth than the desire to believe your opinion. That is the cure for bias at the end of the day. But biases can be very hindersome. They affect us all. And when watching over our hearts, that's one of many things we need to watch out for because biases are in our hearts. All right, the next thing I want to go over, uh, desires and intentions to watch out for. And again, you know, these lists aren't comprehensive. Um, otherwise, this would be 10 parts and it would be the longest part of the series. This is just a few key things. First desire that we should be on the watch for and fighting against is any desire to disobey God. In the scriptures, it's clear that um, desire to sin is a sin. If you desire to sin but don't do it, you restrain yourself, you hold yourself back, and you don't commit the actual sin, just the desire is still a sin. Now, I'm not saying you should just give up and not restrain yourself when you desire sin. I want to kill him. It's already a sin. I'm going to kill him. That's not... Recommendable. But in the scriptures, it's clear that desiring sin is sin, even if we restrain ourselves. So let's look at Matthew 5, 27, verse and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying, even if you don't actually commit adultery, if you want to, that's sin in and of itself. Let's look at 1 John 3.15. 
Anyone who hates his brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And I forgot to list it in my verses, but you know, this isn't just in the New Testament, this is in the Old Testament. What's the tenth commandment? So the command to not steal was already given in the Ten Commandments before the tenth command was given. And the tenth command is not to covet, and that shows a principle. You're not just to not steal, you're to not want to steal. You're to want to obey God. So any desire to disobey God is something we need to be on the watch for, on the lookout for, and something we need to fight against. So I think um, there's two ways that desire to disobey God kind of manifests, manifests itself. Two ways you can kind of see it or notice it in your own heart. Um, well, the first one is just outright desire for something that God forbids. You know, that could be desire to steal something. Desire to um, watch things on the internet you shouldn't watch. Desire to gossip. Desire um, to outright do something God forbids, usually that's noticeable at one point or another if you like pay attention to what you desire. But another way that desire to disobey God can kind of show itself is through begrudging obedience. I guess I'll tithe since God commands it. I can't believe he expects me to do that. The government takes so much already. I guess I'll forgive this person. I can't believe God expects me to do that. Doesn't he know what they did to me? I guess I'll make restoration. I can't believe God expects me to do that. It's so embarrassing. God must not really care about me if he would command me to do that. I guess I'll go to church. I can't believe God wants me to go to church. Doesn't he know I hate people? <laughs> but begrudging obedience to God is desire to disobey. It's a desire to not obey God. If you're mad that God commands you something and you're mad about doing it, you don't want to do it. And that is sin. And we need to come to God, you know, praying for his assistance with that and with repentance. That's something we need to fight against when, as we're seeking to lead our hearts, as we're seeking to lead our desires and direct them towards obedience to God. The last thing I wanted to mention on, um, you know, we need to watch out for desire to disobey God. Desire to sin left unchecked leads to sin. Let's look at James 1, verses 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death.
If you have a sin that you've been fighting against, a sinful habit you're trying to overcome, if you want to know the reason you keep going back to it, it's because you want it. Which is why we have to learn to lead our hearts. But any, you know, as you watch over your heart with all diligence, things to watch out for, when it comes to desires, the number one thing is any desire to disobey God. A second thing I want to point out um, of desires we should be on the lookout for is any desire for personal revenge. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So taking into account what we just looked at about desire to disobey God being sin, and since we're not supposed to take personal revenge, desire for personal revenge is sin. Desire for personal revenge is unforgiveness. Desire for personal revenge doesn't have to directly be desire to hurt someone. It can manifest itself in a number of ways. Sometimes it might just be you want to see someone suffer. You want to see them lose their job. You want to see bad things happen to them. You would enjoy seeing bad things happen to them. Or you're glad when they do suffer. That shows that something in your desires had malice towards them. You desired harm for them. That has to do with unforgiveness. If we're glad when other people suffer because they've wronged us, that shows that we don't love them. Let's also look at uh, Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Another sign that we might have desire for revenge in our hearts is um, if we pray that something good would happen to you know, the person we're mad at and we don't really want it to happen. Like, God, please bless them. Please may things good happen to them. <laughs> If we don't want good things to happen to them when we pray for it, that's a sign that we want revenge. But I really got to point out that doesn't mean don't stop praying for them. Probably the most effective weapon you have if you're struggling with desire for revenge is to keep praying that good things will happen for them. There's a reason that Christ commands us to pray for our enemies and to bless those who curse us. I think from personal experience and from the experiences of others, 
That's the most effective method I know of for dealing with bitterness, is to every single day and pray for the people, pray good for people that you're mad at, for people who have wronged you. That's the most effective way to overcome bitterness. Every single time that bitterness comes up and it comes up in your heart to be really mad at them or to want them to suffer, as soon as it comes up, pray good things for them. That's the most effective way to deal with bitterness. That's the most effective way to deal with um, the desire to see them hurt. Like if you've chosen to forgive them of your will and you're still struggling with wanting them to pay, pray for them. Pray for their well-being. Pray that God's best would be given to them in every area of their life. That's the most effective way to fight against bitterness. You know, the, the last and most obvious way in which desire for revenge manifests itself is if you just outright want to hurt them. Uh, if you're struggling with that, hopefully we recognize that that's desire for revenge. But it's very important that we learn to be on the lookout for these things. Unforgiveness, bitterness, desire for revenge hides itself. It really does. It's very easy to say, I forgave them, I chose to forgive them, and then go on about your life with desires in your heart that they would suffer and that they would be in pain. It's easy to do. Desire for revenge hides itself. You need to be on the lookout for it. The third thing I want to mention that we need to be on the lookout for is um, when it comes to desires and intentions is lust. That's another thing that can hide itself very easily. Let's read Matthew 5, 17 and 18 again. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if you want to be on the lookout for something, and we should all be on the lookout for lust in our hearts, we're all human, we all get tempted with it, um, you need to be able to define it correctly. You need to know what it is. And um, sometimes lust is used as a vague word in English in the States, I feel like. So this is my best attempt to give it a good definition. Lust is any desire or intent to enjoy the sexuality of someone who is not your spouse. Lust is any desire or intent to enjoy the sexuality of another person who is not your spouse. And if we don't define it right, if we don't know what it is, it can be easy to miss because lust is another thing that hides itself in our hearts. It doesn't have to be outright desire to have sex with another person. It doesn't even have to be, it could be looking at a fully clothed person without imagining them without their clothes. So I'm going to give a few things uh, quickly that 
can help with, you know, spotting lust in your heart. Um, number one, if you're trying to look at a sexual part of another person, even if they're fully clothed and their clothes aren't revealing, then you're being lustful. If you're trying to look at a part of another person that's a sexual part just to enjoy it, you're being lustful, period. And that's easy to miss because a lot of us don't get taught to even think about what lust is. Especially in America that's so over-sexualized, we get used to thinking only the really blatant things are lust because we're just used to it. We're just used to living in a, an over-sexualized culture. Lust doesn't even require looking at another person. You can have desire or intent to enjoy someone, else, someone else's sexuality, and you might not even be looking at them. All right, so those are just three desires that I think it's very important we be on the lookout for. Any desire to disobey God, uh, desire for personal revenge, and lust. Um, for the next section of this sermon, I want to try to explain a concept um, that the amount of desire you have matters. So those are just things we should have no desire for. No one should have any amount of desire to disobey God. It's not like, eh, you should have some, but as long as it's not too much. Those three things are things you just shouldn't desire at all. But there's plenty of things that are good things that it's good or okay to desire that too much desire for is a bad thing. I want to think about that concept a bit more. So let's take a look at it. The amount of desire you have matters. Um, so how much desire is too much desire for a thing? I think we all get, we've all thought about it at least somewhat, that there are things that are good that you can have too much desire for. But how can we know how much is too much? Desire is measured relatively. How much desire you have for a given thing is measured in comparison to how much desire you have for other things. Let's look at Mark uh, 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So love can be rightly thought of as desire for well-being. If you love someone, you desire their well-being. Agape love is desiring another person's well-being enough that you're willing to sacrifice of yourself for their well-being. But love is desire for another person's well-being. 
And Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't put numeric measures on, you know, your love, like have 10 pounds of love for them or have 20 pounds of love for them. He, com- you know, desire is measured relatively. It's measured in comparison for other desires. Desire their well-being as you desire your own. Some people are more emotional than others, and that's just a personality thing. It's not good or bad. It's, it's just a personality difference. And they very strongly feel everything they feel. And they feel intense desire for their own well-being. And if they love others, they feel intense desire for others' well-being. Some people are far less emotional. And they feel a little bit of desire for their own well-being. And they feel a little bit of desire for others' well-being. But if it's the same amount, then they love their neighbor as themselves. Desire is measured relatively. It's measured in comparison to other desires. Let's look at Luke Luke 14, 25, and 26. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Again, I say this to say, God doesn't measure desire, or he doesn't teach us to measure desire numerically. You measure it by comparison to other desires. Our love for God, our commitment to God, should make our commitment to our family members and friends look like hate by comparison. So that being said... um, When it comes to things that are good to desire or okay to desire, there's two problems that we can run into by having too much desire for them. Um, They can become a hindrance or they can become idolatry. Good desires become idolatry when we start to desire any good thing more than we desire to obey God. Good desires become idolatry when we desire any good thing more than we desire to obey God. I like Mexican food. I desire Mexican food. But if ever I desire Mexican food more than I desire to obey God, then we have idolatry. That is idolatry in my heart. Good desires can also become a hindrance, even if they don't make it to the level where they are idolatry. If you have so much desire to play video games that you get distracted whenever you're trying to work, even though you don't have more desire to play video games than you have desire to obey God, then it's, it's becoming a hindrance. There was one point yesterday when I was writing the sermon, I finished a point It had something to do with diligence or desire and work. We'll get to that in a bit. But as soon as I finished it, I'm like, all right, let me pause my timer and scroll TikTok. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's happening. (laughs) Good desires can become hindrances. 
It's very easy for that to happen, and we need to be on the lookout for it. So there's, there's a few things that are common to desire more than we should. I've got, you know, just five of them I want to point out. Again, these lists are not trying to be comprehensive. This is just trying to get you a bit of a head start in being able to discern and judge what's in your heart. The first thing that it's common or easy to over-desire is honor. So it's not sinful in and of itself to desire honor, but too much desire for honor is pride. You know, Satan fell because of pride, but he didn't fall because of pride because he thought he was cooler than all the other angels. That wasn't the issue. He didn't think he was a little bit cooler than he was. His issue was he desired, desired to be worshipped. His desire for honor became greater than his desire to obey God. On the contrast, Jesus knew for a fact in his heart that he was more important than everyone else on earth. But his desires were more focused on others than himself. His desires were more for the well-being of others than his own. And that's why Jesus was the most humble person who ever existed. It can be easy to desire honor more than we should. One thing that's kind of helpful... Um, when trying to figure out how much desire you have. Desire can be seen in sadness and happiness. You can kind of use sadness and happiness to detect desire. If, um, if you want something and you get it, you'll be happy about it. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And if, if you want something and then you find out you won't get it, it makes you sad. So you can measure... How, or get a sense of how much you desire something by uh, how happy or sad you are when you get it or don't get it. But how this kind of can help with honor, I wrote a few examples that I want to read. If you make a shot in a basketball game, and you're happier about the thought that you scored, that you made a shot, then you are happier about the, the idea that your team is now more likely to win, it's probably a sign that your desire to score points is greater than your desire for your team to win. And that's, that's something I use to try to detect pride in my heart. If you desire to help, if you help someone and you're happier about the thought that you helped someone than you are about the thought that someone got helped that's a sign that you have more desire for your honor than you do for their well-being. I think that idea has been, at least in my own struggle of pride, the most helpful thing for detecting hidden pride. If you help someone and you're happier about the thought that you helped someone than you are about the thought that someone got helped, that's a sign that you have more desire for your own honor than you do for their well-being. 
So over-desiring honor, something we need to watch out for. The next thing that it's easy to have too much desire for is rest and entertainment. I want to look at Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to work. What is the desire of the sluggard? Sleep, rest, doing nothing, entertainment. That's the desire of the sluggard. It's very easy in America to desire rest too much, to desire entertainment too much. If we, we desire rest too much if we're letting rest keep us from being pro, productive Christians who are advancing God's kingdom. We can know we desire entertainment too much if we let entertainment keep us from being productive Christians who are advancing God's kingdom. The culture in America is designed to get you to consume entertainment all day. There's people who work at companies who have that in mind. That is their agenda. I'm not saying you shouldn't use social media or shouldn't consume entertainment. I personally use social media, as you know, but you have to be watchful for it because there really are people who want you to use it all day, and they're getting paid to think about how to do that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We as Christians, you know, this wasn't just, this wasn't the letter to Timothy, this wasn't just to one person, though I think what's in the epistles to individuals is still an example for the whole church, but this was written to the church, the church in Corinth. This is for all of us. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. And you think, but I'm a lay person. The work of the Lord isn't for me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells all Christians to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. That doesn't sound like, oh, I'll do work for the Lord for like 30 minutes and then I'll spend the rest of my day playing video games. I'll do work for the Lord for a little bit, but then I'll spend the rest of my week watching TV. Christians are to be diligently working for the advancement of God's kingdom, all Christians. And that's going to involve more than just working at your 40-hour-a-week job. Because every Christian can do things that advance God's kingdom, and every Christian should be diligent about that. This is just a guideline. This next thing is just a guideline. It's not from Scripture per se, but I think if you spend more than an hour a day on entertainment, unless it's the weekend, unless it's your day off, then I think that's too much. We should want to accomplish as much as we can for God's kingdom. If you work, you know, if you go do your job 
and then you work on things for God's kingdom in the evening, and then you take an hour a day for rest, whether it be TV or video games or whatever you want to do, if it's an hour a day, I think that's fine. But I, I would recommend against not doing more than that. But that's just my recommendation. The next thing that's common or easy to over-desire, in contrast to desiring rest too much, we can have too much desire for work or for ministry. We know we have too much desire for work or for ministry if it's causing us to neglect other areas of responsibility in our lives. In America, this is... It's more common to have too much desire for rest or entertainment, but it, you know, it's also a thing to have too much desire for work or for ministry. And you know you have too much if it's causing you to neglect other areas of responsibility in your life. Areas we might neglect for it might be our relationship with God. We might want to spend so much time working or so much time doing ministry that we neglect our own relationship with God. And that's a problem. It might cause us to neglect our health could be causing us to neglect our family. But God calls us to multiple areas of responsibility, and he calls us to be balanced about it. Another thing I want to mention in regards to this, we should desire work and rest. So some people work so that they can rest, and some people rest so that they can work. Some people think work is the purpose of rest. I only rest so that I can work. Other people have the opposite mentality. I only work so I can rest. I work so I can have money for the weekend. I work so I can have money for vacations. But biblically, they're both an end in and of themselves. And keeping that in mind helps us to be balanced about it. God didn't rest on the Sabbath so that he could work more. God rested to enjoy his creation. Rest glorifies God. Rest is an end in and of itself. And so is work. We don't work just so we can rest. God wanted to work. God designed us to work. Work existed before the fall. Work is an end in and of itself. And so is rest. Because they both glorify God in their own right. Neither one is done just for the other. All right. I've got one minute left, so I'll try to move quickly. We'll try to end this in three minutes. Um, another thing that's easy to over-desire in America, food or drink. That can easily become idolatry or a hindrance. Um, you know, I, I try to, for these, give things that could help us spot having too much desire for them. We desire food or alcohol too much if we're letting it ruin our health. That's one sign. If your desire for food or alcohol is ruining your health, you desire it too much. If you're letting your desire for food or for alcohol ruin your finances, you desire it too much. If you're letting it take up all your time, if you spend all your time going to restaurants or, um, or drinking, then you have too much desire for it. This is very easy to do in America. It's easy to blow all your finances on going out to eat. It's also easy to ruin your health by how much you eat or how much you drink. 
We have a bun. You know, the economy isn't doing the greatest, but we're still very well off. These things exist in abundant quantities. And anybody, almost anybody can access them in America. If your relationship with food or with alcohol is at the point where it's negatively affecting your life and you're not doing anything to change it, you're not making any attempts to change it, that's a sign that you're enslaved to your desires for food or for alcohol. And we as Christians are to not be enslaved to anything but Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must, I must not become a slave to anything. If we're a slave, you know, you can't serve more than one master because they're going to give contradicting orders. They're going to have contradicting agendas. Christians are called to not be slaves to anything but Christ. The fifth thing that it's easy to have too much desire for, money or power. Desire for money isn't bad, but you know, as Christians, we should desire money. Let's look at Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Why is he working? He's working to make money. If you're going to work to make money, that means you desire money. Christians are called to desire money. But we can still have too much desire for money. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 and 9. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. A sign that we desire money too much is if we spend more time thinking about how to get money for ourselves than we spend thinking about how to advance God's kingdom. That's a sign that we care about money too much. Another sign that we might care about money too much is if, you know, we're unwilling to seek to use our finances for God's purposes. But anyways, all those things, you know, um, honor, rest, entertainment, work, food and drink, money, um, all those things are good or okay to desire. But you have to keep track of how much you desire them compared to other areas of your life, compared to other desires you have. Because those are all things we can have too much desire for. So in conclusion... um, Well, let's go to the habit slide. Yeah, habit two. Um, In this series, we're going through, we're trying to learn how to lead our hearts. We're focusing on habit two. We have to be in the habit of discerning and judging what's in our hearts. And, uh, And I hope that this was helpful for being better equipped to discern and judge what's in our hearts, whether it's good or bad, helpful, unhelpful. Um, Because we're in the process of learning that. But let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather, to learn from your word, to be equipped for life, to be equipped to lead our hearts. We pray that you would help us have the priority and intention of leading our hearts. And we pray that you would equip us to do so effectively, Lord. We pray that we would 
direct every area of our hearts to submission to you, our beliefs, our desires, our intentions, our emotions. We pray that they would all flow to submission to you. We thank you for your grace and your empowerment in these areas, and amen.